Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to another very special preview episode of the Empire Podcast. This one is dedicated to the latest Star Wars series to launch on Disney Plus, Andor. The show that chronicles the further, or should I say, former adventures of Cassian Andor, the roguest one, and yes, I know that roguest isn't a word, I think at least, from 2016's Rogue One. That film introduced us to Diego Luna's Freedom Fighter and then brought his story to a fairly definitive close. Or so it seemed, because Tony Gilroy, a credited screenwriter on Rogue One and also someone who was fairly extensively involved in the film's additional shooting, let's, let's go with that, shall we, has found a way to bring him back by delving deep into his past. And if the very notion of a Star Wars prequel fills you with dread, then fear not, folks, this is no... Attack of the Clones. Five stars, says Empire Magazine. In fact, it's a very different proposition from anything we've seen on the big or small screens as far as Star Wars is concerned. Anyway, as you'll see when the first three episodes of his 12-episode first season, there's one more season to come after this, launches on Wednesday, September 21st. And... As with Obi-Wan Kenobi, we thought it would be a simply capital idea to bring you a couple of interviews that might just wet the old whistle for the return of Cassian Andor. So, we sent Ben Travis along to interrogate Diego Luna and Tony Gilroy for that very purpose. Now, this is a preview podcast. It's not a spoiler podcast, so don't worry. Even though Ben had seen the first four episodes at the time of these interviews, he tiptoes around plot specifics here. Instead, you're going to get more of a feel for the show itself and for the characters and for Gilroy and Luna's decisions to come back and tell more of the story of Cassian Andor. First up, you're going to hear from Diego Luna. And here's where I should probably say that even though it's not a spoiler podcast, there is a whopping great big spoiler for Rogue One right from the off and again right at the end of the interview. Mind you, it's the same spoiler that I pretty much gave away in my intro. All of which is to say that if you haven't seen Rogue One, then what the hell are you doing even listening to this in the first place? But do pause this if you haven't. Go see Rogue One and then come back here. Here's Diego Luna. Do please enjoy. I'm delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Andor, Cassie and Andor himself, Diego Luna. How are you doing today? I'm very good. Very good, man. Happy to talk to you. Yeah. And you must feel... It must feel weird for you being in this place. I imagine years and years ago, you get the script for Rogue One. You get to the end of the script for Rogue One and you're like, oh, well, this is it. I'm one and done. Cassian Andor dies in the end. Did you think you were done with him? Did you think you'd be here all these years later? No, no, no. And gladly I didn't because it would have been very unhealthy, you know? <laughs> I mean, it was it was beautiful. Uh, when I got approached for Rogue One, it was beautiful to hear they they wanted to work with me and that I, I had this opportunity. But it was also nice to hear that there was a beginning and an end, you know? <laughs> I need that in life, you know? I, li- I like watching movies more than anything else. Uh, I mean, I, I, I like getting to the credits and finding out it's over, you know? <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I, I had a lot of fun in, in Rogue One. I had an amazing experience. It was the first time I I, I was working in, in, in a show with this reach, you know, with this uh, 
that created this this amount of expectation and it was beautiful and the moment the film came out I celebrated so much uh, I loved the film and I found out that there was many out there that that shared the feeling with me so I was done. I was happy to go back to my life uh, and uh, and I was doing other stuff when I got a phone call. Uh, and the phone call was was exciting because it but it sounded vague to me, you know. Okay. It, it was uh, who was that who was it who called you up? What was that phone call? From from Lucasfilm. Yeah. From Lucasfilm. Yeah, Lucasfilm and and it was it was like would you like to explore would you be happy to explore the possibility of doing a show uh, about the 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 backstory of Cassian? And it sounded great. Uh, first of all, it sounded right. It sounded like a like a great idea. I thought because for me, Rogue One is is a story about an event, but you don't get to know much about these characters. And what gets someone to the point where they're willing to sacrifice everything for a cause? Uh, that to me is an interesting story, you know, and it's it's not the story we we get to hear in in Rogue One, you know. Uh, so it was like, okay, that's new. That's not like going back to do the same. It's finding out what needs to happen in your life uh, for you to commit to an idea like that, you know. And I I was like, wow, that's interesting. And also, I mean, Cassian is a a very mysterious character. So there's so many questions that Rogue One doesn't answer. That was interesting to to think about, but also that call was like just there was so many ifs in the call. No, it's like right. it, would you like to explore the possibility of maybe one day? It was like okay, let's explore it. Uh, that was like five years ago, I guess, something like that. Uh, but then I got a phone call from Tony Gilroy. And that's the one that changed everything, you know. Uh, I was uh, first. I got a phone call from Kathy saying, uh, "I want you to to talk to Tony, and uh, and and if you guys match, if you guys agree, if we we should be doing a show because there, you know, I mean, it sounds amazing. She was really happy with uh, with the pitch uh, uh, from 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 Tony, and I was like, okay, let me let me chat with him and. And that conversation, it was, it was just unbelievable because the story he was telling me was so rich, so intense, so complex that I just wanted to be part of it. You know, it was like, yes, that sounds great. It's much better than anything I thought, you know, uh, before uh, anything I had in mind when I was doing Rogue One. Uh, but in essence... It was the same, you know, is the story of someone that was forced to move, that had this very dark past, that had no chance, not no not chance to have a childhood. Uh, it was it was dark. It was greedy. It was interesting. Uh, and, and that's the moment where I realized we're doing it. We're doing this, you know. Yeah, I, I just had a great chat with Tony talking about the the show for a while, and he mentioned um, that there had maybe been other iterations before he came aboard, before you got to this version, and that you'd explored different ways into a Cassian Andor show, and and maybe even shot some stuff as well. What what were the changes between that and the version with Tony coming back on board? What struck you as different there? It was. Um... I don't know. I mean, the the big difference was Tony Gilroy, basically. You know, it's like the complexity he brings. Uh, I think it, it's interesting because 
this just happens in, in, in Star Wars where, you know, there's so much attention on how did you get to the point of being ready, you know? Because to me, it's always been like that. It's just that before no one pays attention to it, you know? You always have ideas that you go like, well, no, that's not great. Well, what about this? Well, that's not great, but let's keep this element of it. And then let's keep this other element. And, and people come in and out of that process, you know? But I think it was it was in the moment where, where Tony grabbed the story that he managed to 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 go to a place where there was no return, you know, like he, he, I think, I think he's the one that said, we have to understand how does oppression feel? What, what is that they're raising against, you know? What is that, what is that life like? What needs, again, it's, it's answering this question I said before, what needs to happen in the life of someone in order to give everything away for a cause, you know? Uh, what, what is that life like that makes, uh, that, that, that basically that becomes the awakening of a revolution, you know? Mm. What is that that needs to be happening in your life for you to go, that's it, no more. That's what we have to see, you know? And, and, and I think that idea is something that is new to Star Wars and that uh, it was like a clear, we have to do it. We have to do it. Uh, because we talk a lot about the rebellion. We talk a lot about the empire. We've seen so many films and now shows that are, are around, you know, this idea. But we need to be able to understand what is the life of regular people like in order for 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 an awakening like this to happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure on Rogue One, you will have had your own backstory maybe in your process as, a, as an actor of okay well who is this guy if we don't see it on the screen to you who is this guy and and what would have brought him to this point how much input did you have with with tony on uh cassie nandor's background here and how much did it align with maybe what you had in your head when you were shooting with rogue one Completely, man, completely, because also you have to understand that Tony has been around for a long time. Tony knows the character pretty much as much as I do, you know? Uh, so so it, it, it's aligned, completely aligned. I mean, obviously, I, I didn't go to the specifics you will see on the series, but essentially it is the same, you know? I've always, for me... It, I've been always thinking about this character uh, as a as a refugee, you know, as someone that has been forced to move. That uh, that uh, a character that doesn't feel he belongs the way others can 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 say it, you know. Uh, and and I mean, in Rogue One, no one speaks with with his accent, you know. No one has his accent. He clearly comes from somewhere else, you know, and he yeah. is clearly the only one. Uh, willing to 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 take on this mission you know uh so yeah i mean it is it is pretty clear to me who this guy is you know but the beauty of 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 tony gilroy's writing is that now when he gets very specific about uh, about that backstory uh 
I have the feeling I'm 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 getting to know Cassian for the first time on a way, you know, because yeah. now I have pictures, I have images, I have I have I, I can I can close my eyes and and think about the childhood and and it has a context as a specificity, you know. So some of the stuff that's kind of personally important to you with telling Cassian Andor's story, because the things you're mentioning there about his his childhood and the fact that nobody speaks like him, uh, you have this stuff in these first few episodes of uh, Cassian as a child that feels very potent, that has foreign dialect with no subtitles. That feels like a very intentional choice um, in, in kind of presenting where Cassian comes from. What were the things that for you were most important to get across in who Cassian Andor is? Well, I think, I mean, uh, what I love about science fiction is that it can always establish a parallel, you know, between this galaxy far, far away and the world you and I live in. And, uh, and, and the great tool that, that we have is that by telling you this story that happens in, 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 in this galaxy far, far away, we can make comments uh, on, on the world we live in, you know. I, I don't want to waste the opportunity, and I don't think anyone uh, uh, on this team would like to waste the opportunity to talk about what matters today, you know, uh, about... Uh, how about the need of a, of an articulation uh you know uh, of society that is not happening you know uh, acceptance and and uh it's a it's a story that that definitely talks about uh, about people that come from different contexts but that share uh, an issue therefore they can be part of a solution you know if they if they act together and to me that is that that matters that matters a lot you know and yeah. uh, and how does oppression going back to that question i was talking about at the beginning how does oppression feel how does oppression look like uh what what is that you know uh, what is the context of a society that is marginalized you know uh well that that we have to reflect on because even though we have so many tools today uh, uh, for connection, uh, we are kind of like unarticulated as a society, if you ask me, you know? Yeah. I mean, so that's that's some of the big important stuff. But I want to ask, uh, yes. you're, you're back in Star Wars. This is your like second shot at Star Wars. What is on your Star Wars bucket list this time? Is there a planet you want to visit? Is there a character <laughs> you'd love to meet? A droid who you're desperate to encounter? I'm What's on your very Star careful Wars bucket list? on the way I answer this one because <laughs> this answer is going to haunt me forever. <laughs> um, I'll tell you one thing, like... The first, uh, uh, with uh, Rogue One, I mm. had the full attention of my son. Full right. attention. He was the right age. He loved the ride. He enjoyed going to set. He was so happy to be at the premiere and every event. Uh, he has the toys, everything. My daughter, she fell asleep at the premiere. Oh. Uh, she she fell asleep. Uh, and uh, it, it, was but that now, an age thing? Was it a personal yeah, attack I, on the yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, She was. I, this was. Uh, I guess she was six years old. She was sure. really angry with that ending. She she was like, oh, I God. don't get it, Dad. You you guys are <laughs> terrible people. Why would you do that? Uh, I I watched this film and uh, now they all die. I don't like it. You know, you're horrible. Uh, <laughs> but I remember like. 
man, we were like ready. It was an event in Mexico. It wasn't mm. even the premiere. They were. They, it's even worse. They were showing like 20 minutes of the film, you know, in a fan event uh, in 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 Mexico City. And my daughter was there, and she fell asleep. Not even 20 minutes. She lasted, you know. So. Now she is the right age. She's really excited. She's really happy. Uh, and uh, and she tells me all the time, like, this time I'm ready, Dad. I really want to see it. Oh, that looks amazing. Uh, so I think that would be my answer. Uh, I'm glad I got a second chance because I want to leave this with my daughter too and share it yeah. with her. And so just a quick last one, our time is very nearly up. But after this, are, are you ready to let go of Cassian Andor? Obviously, there's going to be a season two. You'll be back here in the UK, I think, in November to shoot that, Tony was saying. <laughs> so are you waiting ending, for that man. next it's call saying, ending. well, he could he could pop up here, he could pop up there. Do you think this is the end for you or, or are you ready to I, do that? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I obviously I learned uh, four years ago, I would have said like, no, no, it's over. It's impossible. What do you mean? Uh, today, clearly, clearly, I don't know. And uh, I'm not in control. No, yes, I am in control. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I I can tell you one thing. This feels like the beginning, you know. Uh, we are about uh, to share this with the audience, which is a very important step. Uh, one I've been getting ready for for four years and a half and working hard with the team to get here. I want to celebrate this moment. I want to witness the whole process also because this is no, not a film. This is, in fact, it goes back to to the way we, we were fed. Uh, and when I say we, I mean my generation when we were kids, you know, you had to wait for things. You had to wait for the film. You had to wait a week for the for the thing to come out on TV uh, here people have to wait you know and I wouldn't I, I, I want to leave that you know I want to witness that with the audience I want to be talking to people while the series is coming out and uh, that that experience I don't want to rush uh, uh, and and then we start shooting the next season you know or the the last the the last part of of our story and it's very ambitious too man we've been working hard it's uh, it's four blocks each block is one year um i'm i'm thinking of this as as if we were doing four films you know so there's a still a long way for me to go and then we have to promote that uh so i don't know i'm probably going to be 60 years old and still talking about Cassian <laughs> Andor man who knows? Well, you're right. This is only the beginning, but yeah. I can't wait to see where we go from here. Thank you so much for your time, Diego Luna. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Diego Luna. And now here is that Tony Gilroy interview that was teased so tantalizingly during the Diego Luna interview. Enjoy. It's my delight to welcome to the Empire podcast, the creator of Andor, Mr. Tony Gilroy. How are you doing? Very well, sir. Good, good. Now, there's so much to talk about in this show. I've seen the first four episodes, but I want to start here, right? This is a show that you shot in the UK. It's a very UK-centric production. And the first episode of Andor begins in torrential rain with Cassie and Andor getting started on by an angry drunk guy in a bar. And that made me think, are you trying to make the most British Star Wars story ever? Was that your aim here? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. It's, I, no, that's, I, I love that idea. Look, we wanted to start very strong. We wanted to start very provocatively. Um, 
we wanted to start uh, with a different uh, temperature and tone, and we wanted to make sure, you know, the first... The first minutes of anything, the first pages of anything, the first, you know, the opening cut on the album, you know, those things are extremely important and they allow, they, they, they tell the audience, you know, what your aspirations are and what the vocabulary is and what they can expect. And uh, so it's a bit of, um, it's a bit of us raising the flag there in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be dancing around details a bit here because we don't want to spoil the show for anybody. But it is, uh, yeah, surprisingly violent opening. But I, I want to go back to your kind of way into the show because you were working uh, on the kind of late half of the production on Rogue One. So you're back in Star Wars. What was the time gap for you between Rogue One ending and Andor really beginning in earnest? And, and what was that gap? There was all this, uh, you know, big euphoria after the success of Rogue. There was all that everyone was very excited, and my God, we could do anything, and what could you do, and 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 a lot of, you know, just conversations, dinner table, bar conversations. What could you do? And at one point, I had a conversation with Kathy Kennedy, and she's like, you know, we could, we, what do you want to do? What could, because everything seemed possible, and and I remember saying, well, what what can we do? She goes, we can do anything, and I go, well, could you do like inherit the wind in 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 Star Wars? Could you do like a medical drama in Star Wars? Yes, yes, yes. There was all this euphoric aspirations about what could be done. The practical reality was that there really wasn't a streaming platform at that point or a model, economic model for how to really do it, and they had this idea, oh, we want to do a Cassian Andor prequel. And I said, well, I don't really want to, you know, who even knew what, it was TV. It wasn't anything at that point. Not anything, but it wasn't, I was like, I don't want to do that. And they, they did one. Uh, they, they worked up a pilot and whatever, and they sent it. And um, they had some issues with it. And Kathy wanted to know what I thought. And, you know, you do this for people all the time as a friend in court. And, and, uh, and I, for some reason, I wrote a long, it's easier for me to write sometimes than speak. And so... I wrote a long sort of manifesto for her about what the show needed to be and why they hadn't maybe been successful with that. And it was this mad idea for this crazy thing and how it would have to be. And, and it was very provocative and, and uh, very, very different. And they were like, okay, well, thank you for that. And then they, they tried again to sort of split the difference a little bit. And again, I think that part of the problem was it, this really is a situation where the the, the actual economics of making the show, you cannot make an inexpensive Star Wars show. You cannot half-ass it in any way. And I think that the, all the creators to that point were, 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 were crippled a little bit by trying to fit into a box, of an economic box. By the time they came back again, they came back and they found that memo from, which is now like four years ago, they're like, we want to do this. <laughs> and, and I was like, we want to do the crazy version of the show. Yeah. And um, at that point, you know, we're, that was about three years ago. That's about where the money started to meet the thing. All of a sudden things were possible. And, you know, you tiptoe forward from there. It wasn't an immediate binary, oh my God, let's all do this show. You, everybody has to crawl forward and get comfortable. I have to get comfortable. They have to get comfortable. Um, so that, that's really how it happened. But it is the show, this mad, stupid thing that I pitched four years ago. It's, it's <laughs> ironically very similar to what we're doing. So, so what were those other two versions? Was it just something that read as a different kind of budgetary level than you can work on with Disney Plus? Was it, what was that? Yeah, version? you have to be really, what's the right answer to that? They were, they, 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 they there was a real economic, you know, 
make a smaller contained version of it. And so if someone says make a smaller contained version, what do you do? Oh, well, it should be Cassian and K2 running around doing adventures every week. You know, that, that's a very, that's a very generic answer to that question and, and a very, you know, but that's where you end up leading to if you sort of say, hey, we have to do it for not so much money and we have to scale back our ambitions. My attitude was, you know, to be entirely <laughs> disruptive and, and I, you know, I didn't care as much. I wasn't looking, you know, it wasn't, so I could sort of be very bold and go, well, look, if we're going to do it, it's got to be this. And I'm not, you know, and, um, so my bad attitude and, 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 <laughs> and, and their, and their ambitions sort of met the moment, you know? And you said uh, in our recent magazine feature with you for Andor that you kind of didn't come into this whole thing as a Star Wars fan. So what did you learn from your experience on Rogue One and, and where did your immersion in the rest of Star Wars take you from there? Yeah, I mean, that that is true. I was really, uh, I wasn't, you know, I mean, I wasn't Star Wars averse. I was just Star Wars negligent, I would say, um, which was really, as we've described before ad nauseum, it was very helpful on Rogue to come in and be to be clear-minded about what had to happen, um, but I learned a lot on the show, and 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 uh, and uh, oh my God, you know, I've been on this now three years. By the time I'm done, it'll be five years on this show when I finish. So I've, I'm, I'm a full, I'm a full-blown member of the community at this point. Um, I don't know exactly. I mean, the learning curve is. Um, the learning curve for me is very specific because I only have to pay attention to five years. I mean, I have some, I have some things that go back 13 years ago, events, and mm. obviously uh, Cassian Andor's childhood is in the show, and that takes place uh, years in advance. But in terms of canon, pretty much, I have a five-year period to curate. I'm quite knowledgeable about that five years. And... Um, I don't really pay much attention or have to pay that much attention um, to, 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 I don't really have the bandwidth to pay that much attention to the rest of it. So I'm, I'm very, and we also have, you know, we have Pablo Hidalgo and we have the whole Curia that's out in, in, uh, in you know, at Lucasfilm. So it, it's sort of like having a designated driver all the time in case we have a problem, we can always, you know, or something we're wondering about. And, and that extends from, the smallest things like props and 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 really detailed props and you know the star path unit that's in the show i mean that you know but we need an object you know we need a thing it's going to carry through the whole series what it, how, what is you know and so th those are interesting conversations and then it's also larger issues of you know historical historical calendars and is that mostly like a Lucasfilm brain trust or were you looped in with some of the other filmmakers who have been working on stuff? No, it's really exclusively with, uh, it really runs through Pablo, really. It's, it's really the Lucasfilm. Uh, no, I haven't really, I only met Dave uh, Filoni at the celebration for the first time ever. John Favreau too, I, no, but no, it's, 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 it's exclusively through Lucasfilm. And also you have to understand that, you know, our crew is like massive. So even in our department heads, we have, we have a really healthy mix of people who have absolutely, I mean, like Luke Hull came from Chernobyl to be our production designer. That was not a, that was not an easy sell and it was not an easy, it was a very controversial thing. But we also have Mo and Leo, who's our visual effects supervisor, was a visual effects supervisor on Rogue. And he's, he's born ILM all the way. I mean, we have people who know everything and we have people who are, you know, building canon as they go. 
I mean, I'm struck by these first four episodes, how different a Star Wars show this is, that there are a lot of kind of elements that are familiar to, to viewers who know that world, but there are all sorts of different ways in which this feels really different. So I want to dig into some of those, uh, maybe tiptoeing around some of the uh, right. specific plot points and stuff. Uh, it, it struck me the dialogue is really different. George Lucas really plugged into that kind of punchy, pulpy kind of dialogue from the old serials. And you have that kind of slightly stagey old Hollywood feel of the prequels as well and how he was writing those characters. Here it feels very kind of conversational and, and casual and also quite dense and naturalistic in terms of being in the dirt of this world with characters who are just kind of living their everyday lives. How did you work on the voice for this show? I mean, I'll answer in two parts. One, I the first part is simple. I just, I didn't change my game at all. I mean, it's the same me that's been for good or bad or whatever all the way through. I, I My process is the same and I my approach to writing scenes and dialogue and everything like that has, has never changed. I mean, it's, um, I will say that um, when we got here and in the, in the COVID kind of helped us because it gave us a real chance to rewrite everything and go back through everything and, and take it to another level. Um, the opportunity, the uh, Nina Gold is doing our casting and, you know, by the time you, You've seen four episodes. Our show is going to get more increasingly orchestral as it goes out. We have like 190 speaking parts in the 12 episodes. And uh, so Nina Gold and the casting process, and all cast out of the UK, uh, mostly cast out of the UK, um, when those actors started coming in and we started auditioning pre-COVID, you get this—you're suddenly struck with the— this incredible talent pool that's here and the ability that's here and people start coming in and you start hearing scenes writ and it's sort of like you begin to write for the, you know, all of a sudden you got a Steinway. You're not playing on a bar piano anymore. You got a Steinway grand in there and it's in perfect tune. So there was really an opportunity to lean into um, these actors. And I probably... I probably, I think I did, you know, you find a voice that goes into that, that's a little bit, you know, it's, it was, it's been a lot of fun and it still is a lot of fun to write for these actors. And so if there's a little bit of a change, but in general, my game is the same game. It's behavior and it's people, you know, I don't know. I mean, we, it's scene work. These are, mm. it's a scene show. Because something in the films is that they are it's a space opera. It's operatic storytelling. It's often grand scale storytelling. And this, you get a real sense, as I said, of, of people just living their everyday lives on these planets. There was a shot in the first episode, uh, I think it is, of just a bunch of gloves on a wall in uh, Ferrix. And that was just a detail where I was like, I don't think we've seen just like everyday life we haven't had scenes in a star wars show of just people well we went so deep it's great jobs. that you say that it's really it's very satisfying that you say that because behind that and we do this and this is all the way through the show there's no place where we didn't do that behind that is an entire cultural story that we came up with, which is, you know, the grapplers, that's a union hall they're kind of coming out of, and that there's a tradition there that you hang up your gloves and wear your gloves, hang on that wall. Maybe your father's gloves hang there, or maybe maybe you've immigrated there and you've worked your way up and you get a place on the wall. And 
And there was a whole long series of discussions about it. And, and a, what ends up in the show is just a shot. But those conversations and the depth of that curiosity that our team has about building a culture like that, and even though it's only a shot that passes, the grapplers, and then it leads to the time grappler, who's the, it, it, they inform everything else about the community. So we build everything from a molecular level up. And um, it's very hard to it's very hard to cheat reality in reality, and it's really hard to cheat reality in a in a in a, in a fantastical invented environment. And you have to work really extra hard. So you're you're identifying something that's very satisfying to me. And something that I really felt we we spoke at Star Wars Celebration, and you were talking about the way that your twelve episode seasons break into three episode blocks. That's with with filmmakers and with the mm -hmm. writing. But also kind of in the storytelling, the first three episodes here tell a chunk of this story and then the fourth episode starts to move somewhere else in the story. So where did that kind of little arcs within seasons, is that something we can expect going forward? Yeah. Where did that come from? I know some of the animated shows uh, also did that thing where it was like, we've got three episodes or four episodes telling this part of a story and then we're moving on from there. We're not, we were almost perfect in this one. We We do three and then... You saw episode four. Episode four is part of four, five, and six. They really go together. There's an interstitial episode seven, which is a really, really interesting episode. Then there's three episodes that do go together, and then there's the final two episodes. So it's not a, in our first year. It's not a perfect. It, it, it we did the same principle with the filmmakers and everything, but um, it's also from um, it's learning how to do this longer form as well. Uh, I think the reason that we're showing you four episodes, we said, oh God, if we just show one, then it only takes you to here, and that's kind of weird. And 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 there are sometimes there are some episodes that we relax a little bit because we don't have to have a gigantic action crescendo. We don't have to have some massive thing happen. We're building towards something. It gives us a chance to reset our tempo. It gives us a chance to reset the dynamics. And it's also natural for the storytelling. It's natural for the kind of odyssey that 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 Cassie and Andor is on. It's just been a very satisfying it's education this late in my storytelling life to be able to learn this massive new to try to drive this massive new machine of long form storytelling. It's like you were a short story writer all the way before and now you're a novelist. It's a very uh um and it's nice to do things that are scary for you. Yeah. I, I want to talk about how this serves the kind of the whole story, the tapestry of Star Wars, because you watch Rogue One and then you feel differently about the start of A New Hope because you're like, I know what went in to getting that information that kicks this whole story off. Even after just a few episodes of this, you start to feel differently about Rogue One. You know Cassian Andor is going to die and you really get kind of entrenched in, in how dark and dangerous and scary life is under the empire. So the victory over the empire feels even more weighty as well. How, what can you tell me about kind of writing something that, that serves? All it's the not even, it, it's even, it's even more potent than that. I have a personal experience now. Um, I always was saying while we were doing one, oh my God, this is going to, when we had the first season, I hadn't figured out what we were going to really do for the second half. And, and even while we were doing the first one, I go, oh my God, this is going to really change some scenes in Rogue, how people feel about them. But much more, much more potent than that and much more complicated, we were, I was 
developing, coming up with the 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 you know the big chunk of concept for and and the the, the story for the second half. And as it was coming into focus and realizing what was going to happen to all these people over the next four years that we, I was mixing and doing music with Nick and you're back in the scenes and you're, you know, we're back in post and you're watching scenes and you're going, oh my God, I know what happens to her. Oh, now it, it, the scenes that before were, well, they were great. We love the scenes, whatever. All of a sudden they take on this huge new, uh, you know, emotional resonance and and potency that they didn't have before. So even within the show itself, it's powerful. So um, that's, I think that's the great, you know, tectonic power of long form. If if you can if you can ride it hard and you can you know people you can get lost and if this thing rides you, you're in big trouble. But if you could stay on top of it, the opportunity is uh, is pretty po- It's pretty powerful. So that's the hope anyway. Our time's very nearly up. So just a couple of quick last ones. I want to talk about the political resonances here because George Lucas was always clear on the allegories of the Vietnam War. In in a Star Wars context, we know the Empire is evil and we're rooting for the rebels, but also the way these characters are organizing and the things they're doing could very very easily be positioned as terrorists. Absolutely. This show goes deeper into that idea, I think, than any other Star Wars story I've seen. Oh, very much so. You know, when people are asking all these questions, they're trying to pin things down topically and and what, and it's really amazing because people say, oh, well, you're doing an exile story or you're doing a refugee story or you're doing Ukraine or whatever. And it's, there is this, um, there is this narcissism that we have that we think we're the only history that's living in. The, the great opportunity of Star Wars is that I don't have to be about current events. I can cherry pick through all history all every every revolution, every war, every group of people that's being oppressed. You have the great opportunity to go all through history. So it's not really politics of the day. It's just there's there happen to be a lot of politics of the day, but there's 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 very little outside of the internet and social media that's that's new under the sun right now. Everything else that's going on is uh, there's a historical comp for it, um, very easily found in your. Uh, on your on your phone and Wikipedia, right? Yeah. And and just to wrap up, where are you on season two at the moment? Uh, are you shooting now? We start and we start shooting in November. We'll start shooting it. We'll shoot from November to August, and I'm sure we'll try to. You know, if the show's successful, maybe we'll have a, a slightly faster post. I'm not sure, but we start shooting in November. Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to see what you've cooked up in the uh, well the rest of this season, let alone season two. I know uh, I'm coming a- back to speak to Empire when the show is over. I I want to yes. speak to Empire when the twelve episodes have aired. Then I want to have another conversation. I would absolutely love right. that. It would be. We've been dancing around spoilers. It would be great to really, really dig into some of this stuff once people. Well, have you seen guys the have episodes. been great to us. So thank you very much. Oh well, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for stopping by the Empire Podcast, All right, man. Tony Gilroy. So that was Tony Gilroy, and that is it for our Andor preview podcast. We will be doing spoiler specials for Andor over at our subscription channel. If you haven't already signed up, now would be a great time to do so by going to empire.supportingcast.fm and signing up for just three quid a month, which is the price of a pint or half a pint, I don't know, a drink or a cup of coffee or 0.00001% of your latest energy bill. And because of the influx of shows like this, and She-Hulk Attorney at Law, and House of the Dragon, and The Rings of Power, we can't do weekly episodes for Andor just yet, but we will be doing our first episode 
covering off the first three episodes. Bit confusing, but stick with me. Later on this week, and then keep them peeled for more. Hey, and speaking of more, I've made a note of what Tony Gilroy said at the end of his interview with Ben. In fact, let's hear it again, shall we? I know I'm coming back to speak to Empire when the show is over. I, I want to speak to Empire when the 12 episodes have aired. Then I want to have another conversation. Oh, yes. I am marking that quote for the attention of a certain Mr. M. Mouse in Disneyland, Los Angeles. Believe you me. Anyway, in the meantime, Andor's first three episodes drop on Disney Plus on Wednesday, September 21st, or tomorrow, as they're calling it in certain quarters. And that is it for me. I'm off to write the sequel to Rogue One, in which Cassian Andor's cousin, a Bothan, steals the plans for the second Death Star. I'm not going to lie, folks. That one's got a bummer of an ending, too. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. 